It was like a bunch of microvisions of like who led NFL sports news reporting, who led basketball sports reporting, which are two large arms of, of Bleacher Report. And so maybe, I don't know if maybe that sub-leadership didn't change and maybe that's why the vision stayed the same. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Even with leadership changes, Bleacher Report really hasn't changed. And I think going into our segment of you know who Bleacher Report is for, it's for sports fanatics to talk about who they have on Twitter and Instagram. It's a massive mm-hmm. following. Hey guys, welcome to Product Explained, a show where we talk about products and the company's history and strategy behind them. I'm your first host, Jeff Lee. And I'm your co-host, Mike Alcazarin. Hey Jeff, what does a typical Sunday in the fall look like for you? Lots of apple picking. Uh, sorry, hold on. Let me just watch this one more play. <laughs> Heck yeah, touchdown. All right, today's show we're talking about Bleacher Report, a sports reporting website and app. And I just, I just want to say to our listeners that it took us probably an hour and a half to get into the show just because we were out, <laughs> we were literally watching uh, football and talking about fantasy football and all that jazz. So for folks who aren't familiar with Bleacher Report, Bleacher Report's a website and platform for sports and sports journalism. So all things sports, they also do a couple other things too. Uh, they cover most of the professional sports, if not all of them. Uh, that includes the NFL, NBA, uh, MLB, and NHL. They also cover world football or soccer for all of our US-based listeners, NASCAR, Formula One. I think it was interesting when I was looking at their website that they also have two sub-websites called B slash R or Leisure Report Kicks for those sneakerheads out there and B slash R Gaming or BR Gaming for all the gamers. So to talk about Bleacher Report's business model, much like other the other... So to talk about Bleacher Report's business model, Bleacher Report is in the business of eyeballs. (laughs) They're another company that's looking to generate advertising revenue. It's hard to get exact data on how much revenue that each of Bleacher Report's different business lines are making, but I have to imagine that it is all of advertising. Uh, I've seen estimates online from anywhere from $150 million to $200 million per year that Bleacher Report pulls in. And something that I like to look at for a lot of businesses that I analyze is you know, how much revenue is each employee bringing in? So I think there's about 950 employees or so at Bleacher Report, which brings the average revenue per employee at about $160,000. Not a lot. And so to contrast mm-hmm. that with tech companies uh, like Apple and Netflix, Apple makes about $1.9 million per, in revenue per employee, which is a, a staggering amount. I, yeah. My jaw kind of dropped to the floor when I pulled up that stat. Uh, That's and Net- crazy. Yeah, totally. And Netflix um, is at $2.4 million per employee. So just absolutely crushing it <laughs> from an yeah. uh, employee productivity perspective. I have to say, like, if I was an Apple or Netflix employee, I would definitely be looking for some of that share, <laughs> knowing how Asking much- Asking for a raise. <laughs> exactly. Knowing how much profit is in that. Um, but to also contrast with you know one of the other fan companies, Amazon, uh, Bleacher Report Bleacher Report actually isn't too far away. It's For context, Amazon is about $350,000 in revenue per employee. I have to imagine, though, I, I didn't look deeply into this stat that we pulled from Statista, but um, I imagine that a lot of the... I imagine that the Amazon employees also include the fulfillment center workers and all of that, which I'm sure cuts into the revenue. So I'm mm-hmm. curious if what Amazon's revenue per employee from a tech worker perspective... But yeah, that, that's Bleacher Report in a nutshell. I wish I had more information on the, their, the specifics of how much ad revenue that they're pulling in, but that's what they're doing in a nutshell. I'm curious, 
if we were to compare Bleacher Report to like ESPN or some of the other sports news reporting sites, like what their revenue per employee would be and if it's greater or less, like my guess is that ESPN is pretty large. So it, it's probably better than ESPN. I, I don't know. Like, yeah, but obviously ESPN has an in, insane line share worth of, of revenue. So I'd be really interested to see how those two compare because it's hard to compare something like a news outlet that's like ad revenue driven versus pure tech. Totally. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's hard because that, that number is not always readily available. Yeah. This, the same website that I found the Bleacher Report data, it's called grojo.com, says that ESPN is about $205,000 per employee. So um, okay. a little bit higher, you know, yeah. 20% higher. So, but still not in like the, the tech range of uh, <laughs> 2.4 million. Nice, but it's in the ballpark, so that's that's pretty interesting. What's fascinating, and I'm going to talk about it in a second, is that Bleacher Report's a relatively new company by, I guess, like media standards. Uh, so kudos to them to make 160k per person, even compared to like the giants that have been around for a super long time, like ESPN. So jumping into the history of the product, the company was founded in 2005 by a couple of high school friends, David Finocchio or Finocchio. I'll say Finocchio moving forward. I don't know if that's right. But Alexander Freund, Brian Goldberg and David Nimitz, they were actually inspired by Ken Griffey Jr. and wanted to start writing about sports. So just like you and I talking about fantasy football, you know, some of these folks thought, hey, like we should start our own news outlet to start writing about sports and our own opinions on sports and get that out. But as you can imagine, that that's pretty scary because 2005, internet companies were like starting to become more accessible to the masses, I think. Yeah. Uh, and so like, I don't know if they started with a blog or just like a small website or how they kind of spun this up, but they did open their first office in Menlo Park here in Silicon Valley in 2007 to the tune of $650 per month, which is what actually really cheap. Yeah, what a steal. Could you imagine uh, yeah, today? Exactly. That's, yeah, that's super, super cheap. Uh, and they did it with the help of two other friends, JB Long and Ryan Alberti. And I, I think that's just really interesting because nowadays you're seeing content creators spin up a lot faster. Like, I mean, look at us. Like, we're too you know, homegrown podcast creators that like just were able to create content on our own and just publish it out to the world really easily. YouTube was obviously another really big outlet and media outlet. But to start an entire company around this on your own is like no easy task. So it's really impressive that they're able to build this thing from the ground up and and be able to compete with the likes of ESPN and for sure only be around for like, I guess, at this point, like almost 20 years, right? So a, a couple of things that are really interesting about Bleacher Report, um, and I think Mike touched on it a bit, was Bleacher Report, I think, is a little different in ESPN in that they are, I think they focus more on like the cultural side of sports. You mentioned BR Kicks. There's like BR Gaming. Things are like, I guess, lean a bit younger, whereas ESPN is more of the like the old school like sports channel. And I think totally. ESPN wear a has, suit while you like give yeah, your announcements. You exactly. Know? It's yeah, like, for sure. And I think ESPN has like started to try to dip back into like the younger audience but bleacher report definitely leans younger i mean like the first time i came ac across bleacher report was through br's app and was like reading articles through the bleacher report app and it was just like a nice alternative to reading espn articles which is really clunky and like at the time they didn't really have a good way to read espn stuff on your I think phone ESPN at that time too like had espn plus and so you couldn't even get like this, the premium Yeah, content. it's only premium stuff. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So you, we were just looking for like, because the same for me, I was looking for any other, like I was, I needed my sports fix. I needed to learn about the Buffalo Bills yeah. no matter what. Right. <laughs> and, and granted, this is probably a bad time to know about the Bills because we had like, <laughs> I don't even know our quarterbacks at that time. You don't even want to go through that laundry list. But yeah, I, I didn't want to pay for ESPN premium or whatever it was called. I just wanted 
content. Yeah, I just think it's interesting because like when you think about where do I get my sports news today, I personally think about ESPN, watching ESPN, I guess like programs and channels. I think about Bleacher Report. I think about a couple YouTube channels that I like. I have fantasy football specific podcasts and websites I subscribe to and, and then I consume some of their content. But otherwise, there's not like that many well-known mainstream sites that other people go to. Some of the other ones like feel kind of cheapy. There's like Fox Sports and I guess NBC Sports and all the other news outlet sports arms. It's a kind of their side business and not really their main focus. Totally. Whereas like Bleacher Report is f- sports forward. So they think about sports first and they, they kind of cover all aspects sports related. And I bring that up because one of the things that they did, one of the sports, quote unquote, that they covered that at the time ESPN didn't cover was professional wrestling, which is really funny because I feel like professional wrestling got really popular when we were kids. Maybe it was popular before. I guess it was probably popular before. But when we were kids, WWE was a big well, that deal. That was a heyday though, for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like a really big deal. And for Bleacher Report to actually cover it and treat it just like any other sport and talk about all these happenings and who's next up on the cards and, and the events and all this stuff and make a big deal out of it. Again, it's like culturally relevant to the people that open up that app, which are the URI who like actually like using technology and grew up with WWE and professional wrestling and are part of that era. So I thought that was really smart of them to kind of align with their target persona, whereas ESPN is in some ways more for the old heads. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's just like, I'm sure ESPN, I mean, I know ESPN was just absolutely game changing when it came out, where it was like 24 seven news coverage of of Mm -hmm. sports on cable networks. And it at the time, it was probably founded by people that wanted that content. And, you know, same same deal for all these guys, Brian, Dave, Alex, and David, to just run through and say, hey, like, we want this content all the time and, like, cover anything that we want to, like, including WWE and, like, those crazy storylines that you see in, yeah. in professional wrestling. So, yeah. yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. So, over the years, they were, like, raising a couple rounds of funding with the intent of growing the company. But they actually ended up selling the company to Turner Broadcasting in 2012, which I think now is Warner Broadcasting. That's right. Um, Some other notable launches of Bleacher Report is they have this series called Game of Zones, which is like a Game of Thrones parody of NBA. (laughs) Again, remember, they're very culturally relevant sports news outlet. And then in 2015, they acquired a popular Instagram page called House of Highlights. They took over that page and started posting highlights there. They basically locked up one corner of uh, social media, which was Instagram. Again, really popular with the younger crowd that was looking for any news related to sports, but in that medium, in the you know Instagram posts, reels, highlights sort of medium. In 2016, they launched this thing called Gridiron Heights, which was a cartoon web series. that They do satires of the NFL, which is hilarious. I think it's so good. I love it. Yeah, my favorite gimmick is that they make all the rookies sound like babies. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and they give them baby voices until like their second season. Uh, in 2018, they launched BR Live, which was like an internet television service. And it actually streamed a really large event. Uh, which was Tiger versus Phil. I don't know if you remember that, um, but they did this like exhibition golf match of Tiger versus Phil and they, they got the rights to it and they, they were the ones streaming it. And then lastly, in 2019, they announced a deal to open another studio in Caesars Palace, kind of like to, to put more uh, programs together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They have their own their own programming. So I won't be surprised if Bleacher Report has more of their own programming that goes live. They're obviously in the content business. And I think primarily they're text focused, but and in some cases they have some videos in the app, but I think they're going to move towards having like actual shows and we'll see where they host those shows, but eventually they'll have their own Bleacher Report forward shows that they, they produced and created, et cetera. 
Yeah. And, and there's a couple of things there. I know that the acquisition from Turner Broadcasting was like, I think about $175 million in, in 2012. Mm-hmm. And just given that their current revenue is about $150 to $200 million per year, I would say that this is definitely a good acquisition by yeah. Turner. <laughs> you know, if you're yeah. if you're already turning it out at, like, at a yearly basis, I'm sure it's there's other costs involved, but it's, it's a good ROI at first glance. And yeah, to, to your point of like, going text-based and also expanding into all these other like content like video i'm super curious to see what the future of sports um media looks like because just when you kind of pose a question of like hey where do you get your sports information from for, for me it's still really local like when mm-hmm. i want my sports data uh sorry sports information i still go to like the WGR 550, which is like the AM radio station in, in Buffalo, which is crazy, but oh, wow, it's, yeah. it's what I grew up like listening to and watching to. And so all like the personalities that are on that, I still like am religious about watching. And then I have a couple like Bill's podcasts and fantasy football podcasts that I like to, to listen to. And then even for like the, like the quote unquote, like big media companies like NBC and, and Fox, like I guess like NBC is the only one that I do because they have Peter King is one of the writers and I've followed mm-hmm. Peter King for like decades at this point. I think he's one of the best NFL writers. Um, I think he was initially with Sports Illustrated and then now he's with NBC and does in Football Morning in America is his article. And it's just this really fantastic long form article that every Sunday or every Monday in the fall, I have to spend like the 20 minutes reading it. So it, it's really interesting how I followed specific people. Yeah. You know, in specific sports journalists. Um mm-hmm. And Bleacher Report is kind of bucking that trend where it's like, hey, here's our like, you know, meme series of like Gridiron Heights, yeah. for, for example, as opposed to going after like these big personalities like that, like the NBC wants to do with like Phil Sims and um, yeah. or not Phil Sims, like Chris Sims and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I feel like we are at a bit of a, like a an interesting point in sports journalism and it'll it'll be interesting to see what <laughs> Bleacher Report and, and the rest of the industry does. Yeah. So me personally, I grew up in Atlanta. I'm a huge Atlanta sports fan, but I moved across the country to the West Coast. And so it's hard for me to just talk about Atlanta sports with whoever is around because they're Bay Area sports fans. <laughs> no they're one Niners cares. fans. <laughs> yeah, they were Oakland uh, Raiders fans who moved to Las Vegas. And uh, and obviously, they, San Francisco had won a bunch of championships with the Dubs and obviously won a bunch of World Series with the Giants. So yeah, they, they just like had their own stuff to talk about. So it was hard for me to stay attached and like keep up with Atlanta sports. Totally. Um, and I, I know that there's beat writers that do all this, but I just like I take it one step above and I read everything that's consolidated from the beat writers into like Bleacher Report because I think they do a pretty good job of like retweeting. If you follow Atlanta sports, they'll like collect all the information that they can get. It, it's just like a filtered view of everything. Instead of following five different beat writers, you can just like follow the atlanta falcons page within bleacher report and you can just read everything that shows up there so yeah i I definitely think it's interesting it's it's definitely different but it is hard to kind of keep up with sports as more and more people travel and move away from what's considered home especially during covid uh and we're like trying to like work from home and stuff like that so i am curious to see how that's gonna how that trend is gonna change as people move around really quickly I usually talk about the history of the companies in chronological order, even if there's like some leadership changes, I'll kind of sprinkle those in. But I separated out the CEO changes this time because there are so many changes. So I wanted to give Bleacher Report its own section of CEO changes, which is really funny because Finocchio, who was one of the founders, leaves and joins the company a bunch of times. So in 2010, 
they named Brian Gray as their CEO. Uh, Gray had come from leadership roles at Fox Sports Interactive and Yahoo Sports. In 2013 and 14, Gray had stepped down as CEO and Finocchio came back as CEO. And in 2014, they named Dorth Ralphley as a new GM and he took over Finocchio's role. And then in 2016, Finocchio came back as CEO. <laughs> this <laughs> is hilarious. It, it's great. Yeah. Uh, I think that was the last time he, he came back. Oh, he'll be so, back. Just give it time. Exactly. Yeah. In he's 2019, he's not gone. <laughs> he's just like waiting in the wings. Like, this is my company. I started this. Exactly. Um, in 2019, Howard Mittman was named CEO. Mittman had joined a few years prior as chief revenue officer and chief marketing officer. And then in 2020, Mittman resigned. And Lenny Daniels, who is the president of Turner Sports, took over as CEO. So they've had a lot of changes in leadership over the years. You know, weirdly, I don't feel like it's really changed their brand that much. Like sometimes you see pretty big shifts in tech companies happen because of change in leadership. I, like one of the big things is like Tim Cook taking over when Steve Jobs passed away. Like people felt like that was a really big deal and changing the vision of of Apple. Right. So and yeah, I've heard things. I've heard people say things like, oh, Tim Cook focuses on revenue, whereas like uh, Steve Jobs focused on product and experience. So like people emphasize different things as leadership changes. So I don't feel like that really happened with Bleacher Report, maybe because it mattered less about the leadership and more about the writers. Like the content wasn't one singular vision. It was like a bunch of micro visions of like who led NFL sports news reporting, who led basketball sports reporting, which are two large arms of, of Bleacher Report. And so maybe, I don't know if maybe that sub leadership didn't change and maybe that's why the vision stayed the same. Yeah. So I think it's a really good point with, even with leadership changes, yeah, I think it's a really good point. Even with leadership changes, Bleacher Report really hasn't changed. And I think going into our segment of you know who Bleacher Report is for, it's for sports fanatics to talk about who they have on Twitter and Instagram. It's a massive mm-hmm. following. It's 10 million followers on Twitter, 16.5 on Instagram. But going to the point and answering the question of why Bleacher Report hasn't changed is because what I like the most about a website like Bleacher Report is that they're able to self-segment their audience so precisely and perfectly it's, it's you can basically have like a, a dedicated site for NFL fans or for WWE fans or even for sneakerheads, and they can just keep having all of these sub parts of the platform dedicated towards specific segments. Because I'm sure that the sneakerhead, you know, NFL follower is totally different than the gamer and like Formula One, like uh, gamer plus Formula One segment. But yeah, that customer that of the audience rather can self-select on which they want to you know what audience or sorry that specific customer can sub that specific customer can choose which part of bleacher report that they want to consume and how they're going to get that so really interesting and um that's what i think is leading to that steadiness (laughs) even if leadership changes over a lot so if we talk about the size of what Bleacher Report is going into in terms of the the market cap and the and sorry not the market cap but the uh, the the total addressable market, um, if you look at simply just sports media rights, um, and so that's just the right to broadcast. So for example, uh, the NFL or the NBA has massive deals with individual media firms like ABC or NBC or whomever just for the rights to stream the games. And so that value is about $23 billion. So that does not include sports journalism. So that's just massive amounts of money. And so mm-hmm. um, sports journalism is all like the stories around all of this, this um, all of the sports games, obviously. So it's really hard to get clear data on 
even what the overall sports market spending is. I've seen other estimates that put $60 billion at just attending sporting events. So if you think about like, Mm. if you go to the game, you get your hot dog, your hamburger, and your 12 ounce, $80 beer, (laughs) you know, all all that jazz. That's $60 billion. Um, Some like low end of the, like estimates say it's $84 billion spent on the industry. But either way, it's just massive. So Mm -hmm. sports is extremely, sports are extremely popular in the US, especially the NFL right now. So it's clear that with the number of areas that Bleacher Report covers, um, they they really wanted to just become a media platform and a media company. I think they've done a really fantastic job of becoming that um, media platform and and covering as as much as possible for their different uh, users. Yeah, for sure. I won't be surprised if they start transforming the type of content that they put out and doing more like regular programming, especially because now they're signing a deal to open the studio. Really quickly, let's just cover through some of the competitors. We've talked about a lot of them here. ESPN is one that we talked about at length, so I won't go into it a bit more. Barstool Sports, I think is probably the closest comparison. It's also a relatively new sports company. It leans more towards like college kids. I was going to say, it feels more bro-y. Yeah, it's very bro-y. It's more meme-y. Um, Yahoo Sports, which I think only still survives because of their fantasy arm, <laughs> um, <laughs> to be honest. They have a very highly used fantasy sports app. So Yahoo Sports is still relevant in that space. Otherwise, the rest of the company is kind of dead. <laughs> then- <laughs> Quick anecdote on Yahoo, though. It's like back in 2007, Yahoo had, require- had acquired another media company called Rivals. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you oh, remember yeah. Rivals. Yes. Um, yeah. That was a lot of like the fantasy football data and what I think became like now Yahoo Fantasy Football. And I would love to like do like product explain show on just like the fantasy football app. But Yahoo acquired them for about $100 million um, yeah. in 2007. So I don't think that one was as successful as mm-hmm. the you know $175 million, uh, acquisition by Turner of Bleacher Report. So it, it's interesting how... You know, maybe maybe it's a Yahoo problem. Like I don't know, like yeah. they just can't get traction. But it, it's curious how it's been just too starkly different. Or maybe it was just like, you know, Warner or Turner acquired Bleacher Report so it could become the platform, as opposed to, mm. and they had bigger vision, as opposed to the Rivals acquisition was just to support football. You know, yeah. Yeah, and Rivals, as I remember it, was meant for scouting reports. Mm. And like the thing that I remember Rivals for the most was. When colleges are scouting out talent, Rivals gives them like a four, five, like one to five stars rating. And like there's other nudes outlets like 247 Sports and I think ESPN has their own. I think Rivals is one of the most well-respected scouting platforms out there. And so, yeah, I don't know why, like I feel like it's hard to make money off that because it's not like everyone cares about scouting reports for your school except for the coaches. And if you're Mm -hmm. a coach, you're probably going to do your own scouting. Like it's not like you're going to rely on this like, third-party vendor to do scouting for you so yeah i I just thought that was like a little strange that that was kind of a business model yeah and and even for like just the if you look at just from a product perspective with the fantasy football app ratings and reviews for like getting outside of the college football and going specific to nfl rivals did seems more of a commodity now you know it's like anyone Mm -hmm. can kind of put a rating and it's just like you can kind of just see the number in the data as opposed to the narrative around how someone got hurt and all that yeah yeah for sure Two other quick notes on competitors. One is Sports Illustrated, which is like 
largely dead now. I mean, like, I think Sports Illustrated, its heyday was mostly via magazines. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, I think they had trouble shifting into the digital era. And then lastly, I mentioned this before, but like all news outlets, sports arms. So Fox, CBS, NBC, they all have like a sports arm. I would argue that Fox Sports is probably the most popular of these because they host a lot of like NFL uh, games and they actually, as you mentioned, like TV rights. Um, so they're, they're probably one of the more the more popular ones here. But that's funny because I was, was going to say NBC. <laughs> so I'm sure. It's, oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe it yeah. has to do with AFC versus NFC because I know like like Fox, I think, is like NFC specific and yeah. CBS, NBC are more AFC or maybe NBC is neutral. I, I don't know. I, I think that they're just so buttoned up in old school that yeah. um, it, it's just it's super interesting. I think like the one from a media rights perspective, that's going to be super interesting is like Amazon prime video, how mm. um, they're taking just, Thursday night football. Yeah, and, yeah. totally. And that, it's just massive, you know? Like, yeah. It, I mean, NFL is just, people are thirsty for that content. So whoever owns that, <laughs> the rights for there are just going to naturally have a ton of eyeballs there. I think what's really smart is that YouTube TV actually streams a lot of these games and you can stream it through one of these networks. So you, it'll like give you the option of like, hey, I'm going to stream this through Fox or I'm going to stream this through NBC or whoever or like local channels or whatever. And you can pick. And you know how there's like sometimes like blackout areas where you can't watch certain games. It's because the of worst. TV oh rights God. and stuff like that. But usually you can get around that with YouTube TV. So I wonder how YouTube TV does it because it seems like maybe that's why I don't have a good grasp of who owns what rights is because I can I still get accessibility to it via YouTube TV, regardless of like who who's actually has it on their actual tv channel that nobody really uses anymore so yeah Um, it's a good point cool let's shift gears and talk about our thoughts i'm happy to start i think that bleacher report is great because again i think it's more culturally relevant to the new sports fanatic i mean like the the sports fanatic of 2020 gets their news through instagram through push notifications through podcasts through twitter posts (laughs) and what Bleacher Report did really well as they attacked all those different modes of media and they got their user base really early because of that. I think ESPN now has arms in all those spaces, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people had already downloaded Bleacher Report, had already followed these pages, and now they're just kind of used to watching Gridiron Heights or Game of Zones and it's just part of of their tastes or whatever. So I think that was a really smart move by them. I am curious to see where they're going to go. There's a lot of space to like create additional sports content. I mean, it's just like a really, really large market. And even small players like independent podcasts have come in um, and gotten a piece of the pie. I I know like fantasy sports, for example, is just such a large industry. It's like one of the driving forces behind the NFL. I think honestly, uh, if there wasn't fantasy sports for the NFL, NFL might not survive weirdly. Like I, Mm -hmm. I don't I think like viewership has gone down. Without fantasy sports, like people don't go to games as much anymore. So it's kind of hard to do all that. But yeah, like I think fantasy sports has really kept uh, a lot of those industries alive. Well, I think with fantasy, it's just it, it's made it national. It's like you don't just yeah. care about your team. Right. Now it's about like what is Calvin Ridley doing? <laughs> like for me, yeah. like who's a, yeah. a Bills fan and he's an Atlanta player for folks that aren't deep into the weeds like Jeff and I are. <laughs> um, but then now like I care about national games. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so overall, I think I'm going to give Bleacher Report like a 3.8. I won't say that like it's the only news outlet that I use for for fantasy sports, but it is one that I do check up on and I am following passively. And if I happen to consume its content, I usually think, oh, this is pretty good. One other anecdote that I'll say is that Bleacher Report 
they do these like really awesome Photoshop edits or like yes. hype videos and they probably do it better than anybody else. They're very meme They're very hilarious. They're not like PC at all. They just go way, way left field. And it's really fun to watch and like be a part of as a sports fan. So I'll give points for that. So I'll give it a 3.8. Yeah. So I definitely agree with a lot of what you said, but I'm actually going to give them an even higher rating. I'm going to say that they're a 4.15 out of 5. And for me, the reason why it's that high is because they realize that they're a, a platform and more of an aggregator of all this data. So they just want to get eyeballs for a specific, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, just as many eyeballs as possible. And I think that from a strategy perspective, they've taken that platform approach as opposed to the, your ESPNs or your, you know, any of the, the major news media outlets where it's they're going after like the major talent and aggregating singular people, you know, like I think NBC might own whoever owns like Monday Night Football, for example, with like Peyton Manning and Eli Manning. And that's like a great like I don't know if you saw like last week's Monday yeah, Night Football it was game. Hilarious. Yeah. But they're they were amazing <laughs> to, to to see the two brothers going at it and have like their their parents texting them all this like this talk. Or even like, you know, Chris Sims. Chris Sims is who I'm thinking of on NBC. And he's like a specific player, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. that people would go to no matter what platform that Chris Sims was on. Mm-hmm. But with Bleacher Report, you're going to go to Bleacher Report because it's aggregating all of this data. So like, right. or all of the information and news on your team. So I think they're, they're set up for more sustained success mm-hmm. because of that, as opposed to the ESPN, um, ESPNs of the world and all that. They're going to need to keep adding specific people you know, to their, which are expensive. I can't imagine how much it costs yeah. to have a talking head that's dedicated to talk. I'm sure it's a couple million dollars um, as opposed to Bleacher Report who are able to scale much faster. So that's why it's a little bit higher for me because I just think that from a strategy perspective, they're they're really crushing it. So yeah, yeah 4.15 out of me. Uh, for Sorry, 4.15 for me. Well, those are our thoughts on Bleacher Report. And I know it's Sunday recording for us and there's football on and we have to unfortunately sign off. But we would love to hear from you, our audience. So definitely reach out to us. You can find us on Instagram uh, and Twitter. Uh, You can find us at ProdX Podcast. That's P-R-O-D-E-X Podcast. Yeah, and if you like the show, be sure to like us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. And let us know what products we should review next. See you next episode.